Coming up this evening, live from New York City. Social media stocks lose billions of dollars in one day today after a profit warning from Snapchat's parent company. Some clothing companies way down too. Home sales tumble to a two-year low. What's behind it? And is the housing market cooling down? President Biden looking at releasing diesel fuel reserves as diesel prices hit all-time highs. But will it help? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here with NTD Business. After moving up a little bit Monday, the markets continuing to drop. Shares of Snap, the owner of Snapchat, fell 43% today. It says it won't meet its targets for revenue this quarter and that the macroeconomic environment has worsened further and faster than it expected. Similar companies that also rely heavily on advertising also fell. Meta fell 8%, Alphabet 5%, Roku 14%, and Pinterest 24%. wasn't just tech companies. Clothing company Abercrombie Fitch also nosedived by almost 30% today. It reported a loss when it didn't expect, which was caused by freight and product costs. Similar companies, American Eagle, Urban Outfitters, also saw their stocks tumbling. In fact, markets ended mostly in the red today, with tech stocks dragging down the Nasdaq. It lost 271 points, two and four tenths of a percent. S&P 500 also fell, losing 32 points, eight tenths of a percent. The Dow, though, turned positive later in the day, adding 48 points, less than two tenths of a percent. Good comeback. And as the stock market keeps falling, so does the wealth of the world's richest people, top 1%. The 50 richest names in the world together have lost over half a trillion dollars in their net worth since the start of this year. That's more than Sweden's GDP last year. Elon Musk, the richest man in the world, saw nearly $70 billion in net worth evaporate this year. He owns more Tesla shares than anyone else in the world. Tesla's share price has been cut in half this year. Jeff Bezos lost about $60 billion. Amazon stocks have fallen 40% this year. Bill Gates lost more than $20 billion so far. But one person who stands out is Warren Buffett. His net worth rose $1 billion this year. You gotta give it to Buffett. And Amazon is looking to get rid of some of its warehouse space after a slowdown in e-commerce. It wants to sublease at least 10 million square feet, according to the Wall Street Journal. It sounds like a lot, it is a lot, but it's only about 2% of the total square footage owned as of December. In addition to subleasing, the journal says Amazon might also end or renegotiate leases with outside warehouses. Comes after Amazon reported its first quarterly loss in seven years in April and the slowest growth in almost two decades. Lower demand strained its warehouses after outsized growth during the pandemic. But Amazon says subleasing is a common tactic in real estate and it allows them to relieve some financial obligations. More bad signs for the economy, I'm afraid. Sales of new single-family homes fell to a two-year low in April. It's most likely due to higher mortgage rates and record prices squeezing first-time buyers. Federal Reserve, of course, has begun to raise interest rates to fight inflation. Mortgage rates have increased significantly as a result. It's a fourth straight monthly decline in sales of single-family homes. Existing home sales also falling last month. It dropped to the lowest level in nearly two years. They're all signs that demand for housing is cooling. Buyers who once had the 
had to make on-the-spot offers and now have some time to shop, even negotiate. So with us is acclaimed economist and the author of Rich Nation, Poor Nation, Robert Janetsky. Robert, it's great to see you as always. Looking at the stock market this year and today's housing data reading, do you think that things are unwinding faster than maybe anybody expected or, or at least the Fed expected? Yeah, I think faster than uh, the Fed expected and frankly faster than I would have expected. I thought this would take a little longer to unwind. I thought we were going to have some problems. We talked about that in the past, but uh, it, it has come about very quickly. Where do you think the bottom is for stocks? I know you watch it very closely. Yeah, I do. And uh, I've written a couple of articles for the Epoch Times on where I believe the stock market should be. And I had thought that the market at its peak was about 40% over what I consider to be reasonable value. Uh, it's, of course, come down a great deal, but it's still about 18% right now above what I consider to be a fair market value. So stocks got way out of hand. Uh, they're still out of hand, not as badly as they were before, but uh, they're still overvalued. So I, I think we could still see some further weakness in the market. On the real economy, are you surprised how fast spending has deteriorated? Well, I don't think there has been a serious deterioration in spending so far. I think the weakness that we've seen has been in the housing market. There were some figures that came out today that showed uh, close to a 20% decline in new home sales. And that's down actually twice that, 40% from two years ago. So we've had a really strong dip in the in the housing market into April. And housing is one of our most reliable early indicators of where the economy is heading. So when housing deteriorates, we should pay attention. And that was in April. And in May, we had a confirmation from the home builders that they've had seen significant weakness developing in the housing market. It's still strong, but it's, uh, it's a big drop from where it was. The high mortgage rates and the uh, the high prices for housing has definitely put a big damper on housing. So that's a key leading indicator. And the stock market is another key sensitive indicator about where the economy may be heading. Are you getting any calls from anxious investors, Robert, this year? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I, you know, what I tell them, first of all, is no one knows where the market is going to head. I mean, for Last year and earlier this year, I've told people the, there's a great deal of risk because the more overvalued markets get, the greater the risk. And I would still say that today. If markets are still what I think 18% overvalued from where they should be, you still are in a highly risky environment. You're a very risky environment because of a lot of things, including uh, a slowdown in the economy that's caused in part by our government policies. We've had a lot of regulation this year. I think it's twice what it was under President Obama in new regulations, uh, according to one calculation that people make. And it's uh, enormously higher than under the Trump administration. Regulations are expensive. They cost business a lot of money. And they have resulted in a significant slowdown in our nation's productivity. If you've seen the latest productivity numbers, they're down over the past year. It's, it's, 
it's it's a sad situation for the economy, and it's self-induced. So so long as we still keep uh, doing these things to hurt the economy, to hurt business, to pile new costs and regulations on businesses, uh, I think we're going to continue to have a very weak economic environment. And when it's weak and you have the Fed tightening, that raises the odds of going into a downturn. The one positive thing I'll say is we have seen this many times in the past. These sort of things happen. We go through a downturn. People get scared. They panic. Uh, we go into a recession. And then all of a sudden, there's a huge change in the political scene. And we start to correct all the problems. So uh, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's just very, very dim at the current time. Something to look forward to. Robert Chinatsky, appreciate it. Thank you. Paul, thank you. High home prices, though, are still blocking many from buying a home. Anthony Sean Marshall has some tips for navigating the housing space right now. High home prices are blocking many from home ownership and living the American dream. No one expected that home prices were going to keep rising for this long and this dramatically. Jeff Ostrowski is a senior mortgage reporter at Bankrate.com. He has a few tips for entering this high-cost housing market, like preparing yourself for bidding wars ahead of time. How, what's the maximum amount that you're willing to pay for this house? And going in with a number like that will help you to avoid getting caught up in the heat of the moment, getting caught up in the, the emotional roller coaster of a bidding war. So just uh, have a, a ceiling on, on your bid, and once, once the bidding gets to that number, be willing to walk away. Ostrowski says getting a fixer-upper can save you money. Or you might find a house in a neighborhood that you like, but... You need to be aware going in that the, the construction budget is almost always going to be more than you expected, and the time to complete the construction is almost certainly going to be longer than you had planned for. So just go in knowing that. Go in uh, with, with some flexibility around your budget and around your timeline. Bankrate's financial security survey for March shows that Americans place a higher value on homeownership than on any other indicator of economic stability including a successful career and a college education. For those of you wanting to buy a home, there is a glimmer of hope. Bankrate reports that housing supply is starting to increase a bit. Ostrowski says it seems like the housing market is finally starting to cool a little, but he says it's still a very hot housing market. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Across the Pacific, China's housing market is painting a very different picture. People in China are now holding on to their cash, unwilling to invest. Home prices in China have been falling. Chinese stocks falling dramatically, too. As people are now increasingly putting their money in savings accounts. Anthony Stan Ma has more. More families in China are putting their money into savings rather than investing it. This is a contributing factor that could cause China to miss its growth target this year. Ryan Yonk at Think Tank American Institute for Economic Research says a reluctance to invest is due to an unstable Chinese stock environment. When uncertainty in whether or not the, the markets are going to perform well over time increases, people start to, to either remove themselves from the market or choose not to enter the market further. The Shanghai Shenzhen CSI 300 index fell again Tuesday by as much as 2.2 percent. It was among the worst performers in Asia. And amid lockdowns last month, it fell to its lowest point since April 2020. The Chinese property market isn't doing well either, something many are also invested in. Home sales have slumped 25 percent, and prices are expected to fall as well. 
a larger percentage of uh, Chinese consumers are invested in Chinese stocks. And so when the market uh, has a downward correction, it affects a water swath of, Chinese, of the Chinese population. What we see is when people are uncertain about the economic future, we tend to see saving, savings rates increase uh, as a hedge against that uncertainty. Savings deposits in China's banks increased by 7% in the first four months of this year. It rose to over $16 trillion at the end of April. A route in the Chinese stock market, woes in the property market, and people not investing could cause China to miss its 5.5% economic growth target. One of the things we can see pretty clearly is that as consumer confidence drops in the Chinese economy, that's going to have a downward pressure on economic growth overall. A lower growth rate could worry Beijing. Yonk says that growth rate is critical to the stability of the Chinese Communist Party. I would be uh, quite surprised if there was not some level of concern, because one of the things that is essential in um, the ongoing stability in China is that continued growth rate and continued consumer confidence in the Chinese economy. Yonk says that ultimately economic prosperity is one of the single biggest predicators of the regime's stability. Don Ma, NTD News. Diesel prices are the highest they've been in the history of America by far. The current $5.57 is 80 cents higher than the second, peak, second highest peak that happened during the 2008 financial crisis. Now, the president may release diesel fuel reserves to help. Dinesh Cheney Wu has more. The Biden administration may release diesel fuel reserves to curb prices. Diesel prices are at $5.57, close to an all-time high in the entire history of U.S. diesel usage. The release would come from the Northeastern Home Heating Oil Reserve, which has terminals in Perth Amboy, New Jersey, and Groton and New Haven, Connecticut. The reserve is very small. You're talking about one million barrels. It's tiny. Antoine Half is the co-founder of climate data firm Kairos, as well as a former chief analyst at the International Energy Agency. Half says this wouldn't do much long-term. It could have an impact in, in the market that's most affected by the uh, tightness in, in diesel supply today. Uh, but it would have a fairly, it would be a fairly localized impact and a fairly short-term impact. The East Coast, in particular, is suffering a lot as diesel supply has dived to its lowest level since 1990. People are even stealing diesel. A thousand gallons were stolen from a family gas station in Houston two weeks ago. The administration keeps returning to a plan that hasn't proven any success. Daniel Turner is the founder of Power the Future, which provides information on energy. Turner says, Biden has tapped into the strategic petroleum reserves, uh, and prices have done nothing but go up since then. And America isn't experiencing the worst. The whole world is seeing high diesel prices. Sweden is seeing average prices of $8.95 per gallon. Monaco, the second smallest country in the world, a little over $9. And Hong Kong, $10. Chenny Wu, NTD News. An oil company, Shell, had a surprise at a shareholder meeting today. Dozens of climate protesters showed up, disrupted the meeting, forcing Shell to suspend it. Later resumed and shareholders did indeed back Shell's climate strategy. But a climate activist proposal got fewer votes than last year. Here's what the activist investor behind the proposal had to say. Oil prices are high again, so there are windfall profits. And you can draw two conclusions from that. You can draw the conclusion you have to continue with oil and gas, or you have to draw the conclusion that you have to invest this windfall profit in renewable energy. And that's what more and more investors want. 
A year ago, a Dutch court told the company to reduce its emissions by 45 percent by 2030. Shell aims to get down to net zero by 2050. But it appeared the court's ruling say, appealed the court's ruling saying it can't be responsible for emissions released by its customers. Critics like the activist investor group say Shell's spending doesn't reflect its targets and its plans to cut emissions fall short. As for today's protest, Shell said it respects everyone's right to express their point of view or engage in strategy. But it said this kind of disruption is the opposite of constructive engagement. Still to come, stay with us. A new app debuts in Washington to help blind and visually impaired people use public transit. A workshop in Venice uses ancient looms to make high-end velvet for the rich and famous. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Inflation is hurting major U.S. retailers like Target and Walmart. But Ralph Lauren isn't feeling the pain. It says its more affluent customers are shrugging off inflation to splurge on fashion. Is the company CFO. First, our consumers are resilient. They're at the higher end of income demographics, and they've proven through COVID um, that their desire for the brand has increased. Ralph Lauren is, in fact, forecasting improved full-year margins as demand in its biggest markets, North America and Europe, stays strong. And that's at a time when inflation is denting profits at major U.S. retailers. Ralph Lauren expects revenue to increase in high single digits that's versus Wall Street's expectations of a 3.6% increase, according to Refinitiv. And unlike the retailers I mentioned earlier, Ralph Lauren says it can pass on to consumers added costs for freight and production. In fact, it expects to increase its profit margins this year. And New York City marked another chapter in the slow death of the landline telephone Monday. The removal by crane of the final payphone, which was located on 7th Avenue near Times Square, marked the end of an era for the street's iconic feature. The boots were once a fixture on seemingly every street corner in the days before the cell phone. According to local media, Manhattan will keep four of the old-fashioned phone boots on the Upper West Side, on West End Avenue at 66th, 90th, 100th, and 101st. City says the phone booth is designed for an exhibit, is destined for an exhibit at the Museum of New York, looking back on life before the digital age. And Google is a new and improved and less bulky way of building a vi visual map of the world. The tech chant debuted its updated Street View camera that officials say will make it easier to get photos of the planet, especially in areas that are remote like mountaintops, small islands. The camera is 15 pounds, roughly a tenth of what the original cameras weigh. Now it's customized with different sensors too. 
It'll also be easier to connect to more types of vehicles. Google Street View has been collecting shots worldwide since 2007, and these new cameras are being tested near Google's headquarters. They're expected to be used everywhere else sometime next year. And an app designed to help visually impaired or blind pedestrians use public transit debuted at Washington D subway station today. Waymap aims to expand travel options for blind and visually impaired people. The app offers step-by-step audio directions that it says are accurate up to three feet throughout a trip. The app does not use GPS and can operate regardless of cell phone signal strength indoors or outdoors. Lowest detailed mapping data onto a smartphone then uses motion sensors in the phone to offer precise directions. Waymap will be launched in phases. The goal is to deploy the app at up to 30 D.C. area metro train stations, nearly 1,000 bus stops by September, and then across the entire metro system by early 2023. And a workshop in Venice is preserving the ancient art of weaving using wooden looms. Precious velvets produced are coveted by the White House and the Kremlin and stars and popes alike. Let's take a look. In a small workshop in Venice, seven artisans are crafting delicate velvet on weaving machines. They are the last guardians of this ancient art. Velvet weaving was one of the most important economic activities in Venice, and people came to Venice from all over the world to buy velvets. Their end product is shipped to the rich and powerful. The CEO of Bevilacqua Textiles says the tiger skin velvet in his possession was used to upholster chairs in singer Mariah Carey's mansion. This one of the Kremlin is one of the most recent. It was made about 10 years ago, for example. This other one was made for the White House during the presidency of Eisenhower. I remember that during the presidency of Giovanni Gronchi, something was made for the Quirinal Palace in Rome. Then we were pontifical suppliers for many years, so the most important churches in the Vatican were furnished with our fabrics. Textiles in Venice were once as famous as its architecture and sculpture. From the 13th to the 18th century, the velvet produced was used to make the most luxurious clothes for European nobility. But due to rapid industrialization of the roughly 6,000 looms used by weavers in the 16th century, only 18 remain today. The company revived the old looms in 1875 and has been in business for six generations. One thing that sets us apart is that we are able to reproduce in a truly incredible way a two to three hundred year old fabric. After all, the looms we use are two to three hundred years old. Manual weaving requires a complex series of operations that add to production time. In some cases, an entire day is necessary to weave less than eight inches of fabric. Once, the fabric for a chair that was decorated for the Kremlin took a whole year to complete. The techniques are the same as in the past, so we can't even consider using something technological. And this is also perhaps the main feature of this work, the fact that we don't need to have something new, but it works perfectly as it used to. It is precisely the patience and skill behind each piece of fabric that makes them delicate and beautiful, which is why requests come from all over the world. Beautiful. That's the latest from the Entity business team and myself, Paul Graney. Can't still catch Entity evening news, though. That's with Stephanie Cox at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow me on Twitter, too, till we see each other again. For Entity Business, that's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.